Well, good morning. It's good to see you here today. Thanks for raving. I've been here for a while. Is it still icy out? Kind of? Maybe? Not too bad? Good. Braving the high and scary hills of northwest Indiana on your way here? That was a joke. There's no hills. There are. There's some, right? No, we're glad that you're here. And before we jump in here uh, today, uh, if I've not met you, my name is Rich Doring. I'm the lead pastor here at Real Life. Thanks for joining us online as well. We're thrilled to have you use that as an option uh, to, to gather with us. So let's talk about that uh, just really briefly here this morning. Uh, obviously, with the spike in COVID and different things going on like that, uh, really want to encourage you to be paying attention to this next week. Uh, obviously, we're getting into a place where we're actually manpower-wise kind of running slim here this morning. Uh, we have a lot of volunteers who called this morning who have COVID, uh, who are unable to be here. A lot of people are showing symptoms that were unable to be here. And so um, out of precaution, they stayed home, which is great. And uh, at the same time, too, you know, there's all kinds of stuff. If I'm not shake, if you're like, where's Pastor Day? Where, where did Rich go? And then all of a sudden you saw me pop in just this moment ago. It's because I have a hard time not shaking hands. And I have a hard time not, like, giving people hugs or smacking people around, whatever. I, I have a hard time not, like, interacting and being present physically with people in their face. And uh, even I have reason to believe uh, just really care. I need to be careful uh, right now just because of different exposures and stuff like that. So I'm trying to be cautious. Here's what I've observed the last few weeks. Uh, I just want to thank you, first of all, you've been very flexible. We went online a couple weeks ago, kind of had to make a quick call uh, to do that. At the same time, too, just all the different things going on. Uh, I've been really impressed over the last three weeks about your flexibility and about your patience when it comes to uh, all that's going on right now. I think you all know our health care workers are overwhelmed right now. They deserve a hand just on their own for everything that they're doing. They're... I can't even imagine. And so uh, we want to make sure that we, we side on the, the area of being conservative when it comes to this. We want to make sure that uh, we are looking out for others. And so I want to encourage you to continue wearing a mask if you can. Uh, continue to practice safe distancing, doing some of those things. But also plug in. Make sure you're checking out your email this week. Make sure you're watching on Facebook, whatever vehicle it is that you find out information about the church, uh, make sure you're tuned into those avenues. So if there are decisions that need to be made, uh, we can make those. I have a Zoom board meeting on Tuesday night, um, and uh, in fact, we've got board members that are really struggling with COVID right now, so I want to encourage you to pray for them as well. But uh, we're going to do that Zoom meeting. We're going to be talking about some of these things as well, so just be praying for us, and uh, we're just here to support one another. Sound like a plan? You guys have embodied really kind of some of the stuff that we're talking about. Last week, uh, we began this annual focus that we're in called One. And basically, we're just kind of laying out and living the foundation of what it means for real-life community church to experience unity in Christ. And uh, we saw uh, last week, we talked about how the world that we live in really thrives on division. And unfortunately, there are moments and times when the, the church is guilty of adding to that division by the things we say, by the things that we do, the attitudes that we have. The problem really comes down to uh, some passages of Scripture in John 17. In John 17, Jesus is just, 
had his final supper with his disciples. And it's really kind of this in-between time. He's about to go to the Garden of Gethsemane where he's going to pray, but then he'll be arrested. He'll be tried falsely. Uh, he'll be crucified. He'll die. So this is really kind of a, a high-tense moment. And Jesus, in the middle of all of this, stops, and he starts to pray, and that's John 17. In John 17, he prays for the disciples, that they would have peace. Uh, he wants to make sure that, that the disciples experience joy and contentment in their relationship with God. Uh, but over and over and over again, you kind of get this theme throughout John 17, where he's you know, Father, help these followers of mine to be one. Just like you and I are one, you know, they've gotten this spirit of unity that's been, been given to them. So help them, Father, be one. Just as we are one, help them to be unified around the important things. And then you have John 17, verse 23. You'll see it on the screen. Then the world will know that you sent me and that you love them. So Jesus indicates in this passage that the world will know who he is through the oneness of us. The oneness, the unity of his followers. In that disunity that sometimes is present, essentially Jesus can flip the script there and say, people might have doubts about who Jesus is based on the character and actions of us. So it's important that we're one, okay? Now, this is not a superficial unity. You know, we kind of all sit around in a circle saying kumbaya and, you know, all that kind of difference. That's not what we're talking about here. It's kind of weird. Um, it's not this, this idea that we would all agree, that, <laughs> that we would all have the same opinions. How many of you think that's actually going to happen? How many of you <laughs> know that even just the things that I talked about when I first stood up here, we all had different opinions on, okay? So, so it's, it's not about all of us agreeing on the same opinions or all that kind of different stuff. What we're talking about is real biblical unity, Okay, that it's the unity that crosses man-made divisions, stuff that we would throw into the mix based on opinion or, or all that kind of different stuff. And we do that for the purpose of living as a unified expression of the love of Jesus Christ to the world that's around us, this divided world. And that, listen, that oneness, that unity that a group of very diverse people might have, might express, I mean, it stands out in a divided world. Pew Research, which is a very legitimate organization that does a lot of research and statistical development, stuff like that, back in November 2020 did a, a report in an article. How many of you know what happened in November of 2020? Okay, so there was an election. There was an election. And what they did was they did this study and this research, and then they, they published this article about the divisions that were taking place in the world, specifically the United States leading up to November of 2020. Pretty much all of it is relevant right up to right now, January 2022. Can you believe? It was like there was a day in March where I went and blinked my eyes, and when I opened them up, we were in a total, total different world in March 2020. And everything has been so different since that moment, but also the same, the same. And so what they did was this research project. Now, listen, there's been division racially, uh, politically, spiritually, all kinds of different divisions, ideology in the United States before. That, that's not unique to our day. 
There's been all kinds of divisions over all kinds of things throughout the entire existence of the United States. So that's not new. But what their research really kind of discovered is that this time that we are in right now is unique in a certain way. It's unique because there's this axis point, okay? There's this place that exists right now in our world where you are legitimately on one side or you're on another, and there is no in-between. Okay, so if you don't tow the line for this side, actually your own people will turn on you and cast you out. So we live in such a divided time that's so polarized that there's no place in between where you can kind of get a toehold and maybe some commonality to actually work on some things. There's no, there's no opportunity in our world today for there to be an identity that's forged that's not in one of two camps, okay? There's no middle commonality. Listen, a worldwide epidemic of health issues is not even enough for people to lay down their swords for a few minutes and say, hey, can we come together for just a, a second here and work on something together? That's unique right now to the time that we live in. Now, there's a million and one articles about this division that you could look up and all kinds of different stuff and Pew Research has done other articles. But I, I referenced this one for a reason this morning. It's because in it, there's a statistic. And when I read the statistic, I thought, okay, this gives me some hope. Now, I debated about whether to show you this because I can't control how people respond to anything, ultimately. But I'm, I'm sharing this with you in good faith, believing that we are big girls and big boys, and we can handle this kind of stuff. So I want to show you this statistic really quick. It's on the screen. Trump and Biden supporters say their candidate should address concerns of all Americans if they win. Now, here's how that plays out. This is the percent of registered voters who say that if their preferred candidate is either elected or reelected, they should primarily focus on addressing the concerns of only those who voted for him without worrying too much about the concerns of those who didn't vote for him, anywhere between 10, 15%. The vast, the vast majority of Americans believe that all Americans should be the focus of whoever's elected, even if it means disappointing some of their supporters. Okay, to me, that is an incredible statistic because it says something. Our world is tired. Our world knows that division is not the answer. Our world sees the division and they long for something different. And even, at least according to statistics, which, whatever, but according to statistics, they said they'd actually be willing to give a little to somehow meet in the middle to forge some unified identity. Here's why that's encouraging to me. To me, that indicates people are tired, and it would seem to me that if there should be anything, anything that models the opposite 
of what has produced the division that our world is weary of, it should be the church, shouldn't it? It should be us. We should be leading the way. We should be setting the pace of what it looks like for people who act a certain way, who live a certain way, who express a different kingdom ethic. That's our focus this year, is the body of Christ, is real life. We're going to be laying that foundation. We're doing it for some very specific reasons. You know, I shared with you last week, I get really excited about opportunities and doors that open for us as a church. I think all the time about the ways that we might be engaged more in the region and, and all kinds of different initiatives. I, I like the word initiative. Things that we might be a part of as the body of Christ to be able to make a difference, to bring some transformation to the world that we find ourselves in and the people we find ourselves with. I get excited about that, but that is all in vain if we don't do it as one. Because it communicates, <laughs> I don't know why the word discombobulation popped into my brain right then, but it, it communicates disconnectedness. It communicates chaos if we don't step forward together into that darkness. And people look at us who are so different from one another and think, how does that happen? What is it that's binding them together? That's Jesus. It's Jesus. That's our focus this year. For us as a church to be one. For us as a church to be one, though, it starts with something very specific. It starts with a call. A call. So a number of years ago, I found myself, um, I had added a staff member. It was the very first staff member I ever had the opportunity to add. <laughs> so it was really, really exciting. And um, it was going really great. But then there was a moment where, uh, in, in full honesty, I'm so proud of this guy. I'm so proud of his vulnerability, his willingness to admit this. He, as he was on staff at the church I was pastoring, started talking about he was really struggling with whether or not he had ever been called by God to ministry to begin with. I'm like, dude, I put you on staff. So... All of a sudden, I'm finding myself in a situation where now I've got to walk with somebody to discern whether or not they actually have a call to be in the position I put them in. And, and I'm so, like I said, I'm so proud of him today. He's doing fantastic. He's not in ministry, a formal vocational ministry like this. Instead, he's serving. He's doing an incredible job. He's married, got a kid. I mean, he's doing really, really great. I'm really, really proud of him. I'm exceptionally proud of the church that I pastored at that time who was healthy enough to absorb that and willing to walk with him as it began to discern what that meant for him and what that meant for us. I was really, really excited that we had a church like that. But as the pastor, as the leader in that moment, I realized that there was some confusion in regards to what does it mean to have a call from God, right? What, what does that mean when you say, I've been I've been called by God. I mean, that sounds like, that sounds heavy duty, right? That sounds like a big, big deal. What does it mean to receive a call? So I did some studying, and I, I knew that I had to teach this church a little bit about what, what does that really mean. Now, we tend to romanticize this idea that God calls people a lot, that it's reserved for those involved in things like pastoral ministry, or maybe 
God has called you to a certain position uh, in a certain place at a certain time. And that, that all literally does happen. I would, listen, God called me to be a pastor. I didn't do it. Uh, God did this thing, so I can blame him all I want. But, but God called me to be a pastor. I'm, fl- I'm fleshing out what it means to answer that call. But here's the deal. Before any of that, before any of that, for any of us, there are actually some other calls that I would argue are more important. If you're sitting here today and thinking, maybe God's calling me to ministry, I will tell you till I am blue in the face, there is a couple of other calls that are more important for you to answer than that one. They're universal calls. And we see one of those in Ephesians chapter four, verses one through three. You'll see it on the screen. This is Paul writing, he says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. We're taking today and the next two weeks a deep dive into Ephesians chapter four uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, Without unity, without oneness, the church will never be what God desires for it to be. It will never happen. And that unity, that oneness, is contingent actually on something else, a calling. What is this calling that we're supposed to walk worthy of that Paul is writing to this Ephesian church about? Well, whether you know it or not, God has called you. He's called you. Um, The church that Paul is writing to in Ephesus was being reminded of that. And in a world of division, in a world of distraction, Paul spent the first three chapters helping the Ephesians understand and embrace that call. So the church in Ephesus was a really interesting place. And, uh, and Paul, he did, if you've not spent time reading Ephesians 1 through 3, it's worth your time. It's, it's extremely encouraging. It, it is a very, very good explanation of everything that we receive in salvation through Jesus Christ. It is a summary of the good news of the gospel of Jesus. We've been set free from sin. We've been made a new creation. There's so much afforded to us now. We are so blessed as recipients of the grace of God. So it's, it's this incredible verse, chapter one through three presentation of the gospel that you and I have received. There is a calling for you and I to accept that gospel. That is our first calling that we might put our faith in Jesus Christ alone. We are all called to that calling. That's our first call. Responding to the invitation to put our faith in Jesus. But in Ephesians chapter four, Paul pivots a little bit. He turns. It's one thing for you to answer the call. It's another thing to live out receiving that call. They're two different things. Receiving a call and living a call are two different things. So Paul, this church in Ephesus, was struggling. They're struggling to live that out, uh, this, this call that God had on their life. They'd experienced the grace that had been offered by Jesus, but it wasn't being reflected in how they conducted themselves with each other. It wasn't being fleshed out in how they conducted themselves to the people around them either. 
So it wasn't translating. They'd received this thing, but it seemingly didn't have much impact on how they lived their lives. There was a disconnect. There was a division between their calling and their living. They weren't themselves being one. As individual believers, they weren't being one. The church was struggling to be unified because their faith was disconnected from their living. It was incongruent. Are you following me there? So Paul's challenge is this. Walk worthy of that first calling. Now, if you're anything like me, I struggle with the word worthy. Um, you know, I, in the home I grew up with in, my, my mom was one of the most defensive people I've ever met in my life. If you picked on one of her kids, boy, I tell you what, if you were a parent, you better look out for your kid because my mom would come after him. I mean, I was, that was my mom, right? Nobody's gonna tell my kids they're not good enough, right? Nobody's gonna tell my kids they don't belong, they don't fit. And this idea of worthiness, it's kind of cringy, okay? I mean, right off the bat, that's, that, that's a, a word that tends to flow, you know, throw up red flags, particularly spiritually, because listen, your worth in Jesus Christ is not based on what you do, but who he is. That's a tenet of the gospel. We can't earn salvation, our, our worth is not, in Christ, is not based on anything you and I bring to the table. It's all about him. It's all about him. That's a true fact. We've been saved by grace alone, through faith alone. We put our faith in our Savior. But the word worthy, like Paul uses here, and sometimes we take words when they get moved to English and we, we mess them up. In Greek, that word is actually axios. Axis, A-X-I-S, okay, balance. In other words, if you live your character, your words, your actions, your relationships, live in balance to the calling you've received in Christ. In other words, if I've received the gospel of Jesus Christ and all of the benefits of having received the gospel of Jesus Christ, my life on an axis ought to, ought to balance out, ought to reflect accurately what's happened over here to me, in me. Out of me ought to reflect what's happened in me in a balanced way. When we don't walk worthy, what that means is we're not being unified, we're not balancing, we're not on the axis, we're not whole. And so we're duality, we're, we're, we're two natures fighting, we're one over here, one over here, and it's not imbalanced. When we don't walk worthy, we're divided. Guess what? So is the church. We talk a lot about, I want to go to a church, you know, that does this and this and this. I want to go to a church that acts like they're one, like they actually care about each other. Do you care about other people? Because you're the church. I'm the church. I want to go to a church that loves people. Do you love people? If you walk into the church and you're hating people and you want to go to a church that loves people and you walk in, you just went to a church that doesn't love people. You're, you're the people, you're the church. I'm the church. We are the church. So lives lived worthy of the calling of God show no duality, no division 
between what we say we believe and how we live our lives. In fact, this was not just Paul's idea as he's writing the church at Ephesus. He's not like, they're really screwed up and they need me to speak into this. This was Jesus's idea. Jesus is doing this all through the gospel. Matthew 3, he challenges his followers, listen, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. You've repented and received the gospel. Now bear fruit that looks like you did. Your life should look like you did. Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery, I don't condemn you either, but now, axios, go and sin no more because that is the balance out of what I've just done for you. Your life ought to reflect that. When Jesus met Zacchaeus, the tax collector, Zacchaeus, he repaid people and gave generously to the poor. His life began to reflect what had happened. It was in balance. It was whole. These two parts came together and reflected equally each other. Okay. So as he's writing to the Ephesians, Paul describes what this looks like. Personally unified in the gospel to live worthy of the calling that's in our lives. And what's interesting, and I really appreciate this about Paul, he doesn't like show up with a list. Here's the 10 things you shouldn't do if you're gonna do this. And here's the 10 things you should. He doesn't do that. No code of contact, no, no con- conduct, contact. <laughs> we live in COVID times, that was gonna slip. So uh, no code of conduct or list of do's and don'ts. He starts with the character of the one that we say we follow. He starts with the character of Jesus. What he's highlighting really is this. When you and I choose to follow Jesus, we have old ways of living that need to be put off and a new self that we become. There's a change. We're going to see this in Ephesians 4.24 in a couple weeks, but Paul literally says this in Ephesians 4.24, put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul was writing to a very... Uh, they were proud. They were proud people. Um, and they lived in the shadow of the empire of Rome. And it was kind of a, it, that didn't help them because as, as a proud people, they saw the influence and the power of Rome that was attracted to them. I mean, they, they, they loved that. They knew how power worked. They were well-off people. Uh, they, it was a wealthy city. They knew how to use power. They tended to be a little bit self-focused. So what does, in the midst of all of that, a life worthy of the calling look like? So Paul addresses some things that really they're struggling with. Ephesians 4, 2 through 3, he says, be humble, be gentle, show patience, bearing with one another in love. Be humble, be gentle, be patient. Make every effort, because if you don't do those things, you're not going to have unity of the Spirit and a bond of peace. Peace is going to be absent. That's going to sow disunity, and the world is going to see it. And the mission will fall flat out of you if we don't do this. Paul was writing, again, to a proud people, and what he's saying first is, honestly, a lack of humility, gentleness, and patience does not balance out with the gospel in our lives. It just doesn't. We don't present, I, Rich Doring, do not present as a whole person, as a unified person, if the fruit of my life doesn't match up or balance with the gospel that we say we believe. Does that make sense? 
saying I believe in Jesus, but then living a life that doesn't reflect that is living in duality. It's living, it's a double-minded man. I am unstable in all I do, according to the book of James, okay? It's not whole, it's not one. But secondly, what Paul is saying really is unity in the church depends upon unified parts. Unified parts. The church is made up of parts. The body is made up of parts. Those parts themselves need to be whole. Those parts themselves need to be unified. Followers who walk worthy of the call enable the church to be one. And Paul tells us to maintain that unity, maintain that unity in the body of Christ with each other, which literally, man, it is a tall order given the world that we live in. You don't know how desperately, (laughs) how desperately I wanted to be your pastor and not have to address the meeting in person or online only argument again. I would love so desperately for COVID to be over. <laughs> so we never had to address that again. You know, and, and, and have the church tested in that way. But here's what I can tell you. If the church isn't tested in that way, it's going to be tested in some other way ten times over. There's always going to be a hard time that we go through. That we go through. But we live in such a divided time. Such a divided time. On top of the fact that we're all different from each other. Man, we're all so different. You know, I mean, not everybody claims to be a Packers fan. There's still room for grace. But all kidding aside, I mean, we are. We're so different. Beyond the obvious differences, okay, but there's differences in personalities, there's differences in preference, opinions. I may be convic- convicted about certain things that you're not, and you may have huge convictions about certain things that I'm like, eh. I mean, we're all different. At the same time, can you imagine how amazingly boring it would be if we were all the same? Except for the Packers part. I mean, that'd be pretty cool if we were all... Listen, I'm going to milk that sucker for all it's worth. So, <laughs> But seriously, uh, variety is what reveals the creative nature of God. He's a creative God. Different colors, different ethnicity, a diff- all these different things, these varieties, this, this, all of this stuff is very much the creative nature of God, that God would do all of these different things. It's us that screw that up. We're the ones that draw lines. We're the ones that separate some from others. We're the ones that cause the divisions that God never intended. We're the ones that fail to see the beauty of the diversity. When it's just such a magical, and not magical, but just incredible attribute of a loving God who he would create all of these things. Now, imagine when all of that, those divisions that men so easily thrust their opinions into, all of a sudden, those don't matter as much as the fact that we've got Jesus Christ uniting us as one. The one who died for not just us, but the whole world. Uniting us in the blood of Jesus Christ. How you and I handle the variety can lead to misunderstandings, annoyances, jealousies, pride. So 
Yeah, the idea that you and I somehow maintain this unity sounds like a tall order, so how do you do it? The answer is, and I, it's a discipleship answer, honestly. I wish I could tell you it was easy. The answer is individual followers walking in balance with the truth of the gospel in their lives, walking worthy of the call. It's individual followers of Jesus waking up on a daily basis saying, it's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. I'm gonna pick up a cross, I'm gonna deny myself, I'm gonna follow Jesus. I'm gonna go low, I'm gonna wash feet just like Jesus did, I'm gonna love other people. It's that ongoing, one person at a time, discipleship journey, and slowly but surely what you begin to see as a church become that go low church. And Paul uses some really important words describing what this walking worthy looks like. Humility, gentleness, and patience. Attitudes that preserve unity. Uh, humility is not just a personality trait. Humility. Listen, if, if humility were a personality trait, you could be like, yeah, I mean, I'm, that's not part of my personality makeup. Neither will be having friends part of your makeup, <laughs> okay? Humility is not a personality trait, it's a choice. It's a choice. Humility comes from doing what Jesus does. He goes low, deliberately taking a, a, a low position. Philippians chapter two, verse eight says, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even to death on a cross. Humility, it, it's almost like the brand of Jesus, and it's not normal. It's not normal at all. That's why it's so important. If the pattern of this world is division and you and I are called to be one, it makes sense then that humility, a willingness to take a low position for the sake of others would actually foster unity, would actually say something to the world that's around us about the love of Jesus Christ. It's an amazing day, listen, when you no longer have to promote yourself. You don't, you don't have this idea that you've got to promote yourself because God has promoted you further than you could have ever probably imagined. Out of the chains of bondery, out of the, uh, the chains of slavery and sin, you've been delivered from the law of sin and death. You no longer have to walk that way. You're, you're now free. You've been set free, and the power of the work of the Holy Spirit can develop and nurture in you a Christ-likeness that begins to balance out, that begins to help you walk worthy of the calling that you have received in Jesus Christ. It's an amazing day when you realize you don't have to do that. You just have to surrender to it. And God begins to nurture that in you. Walking worthy, it also looks like gentleness. We covered this last summer when we talked about the fruit of the Spirit we covered all of these, but uh, in a world where right now people and Christians are so desperate for power and so desperate for authority, gentleness is so the opposite. It's so contrary to that. A person, a group of people expressing gentleness in their interactions with each other and the world around them, you know what happens in that moment? They become a safe haven. The church becomes a place where people can go and realize I'm not gonna get destroyed by others the way the world destroys one another. A refuge from the division and the angst of the world. How many of you have ever known a healthy person or a healthy relationship that didn't exhibit humility or gentleness? Or the other word that Paul uses, patience, patience. 
waiting for other people, not being quick to anger when we're wronged, the very thing that God is with us, bearing with us. How many of you know that God has had to bear with something in your life this week? Okay, the rest of you are just lying. I mean, how many of you are sitting next to somebody you know who's had to bear with something in your life? Don't raise your hand. Don't do it. Listen, God has been exceptionally patient with us. He's been exceptionally patient with me. As we kind of draw this to a close, I need to be clear on something. Uh, I'm learning, which is a good thing. I don't think you want somebody standing up here who doesn't have a posture of learning and growing. Uh, Sometimes I say things. (laughs) My wife is the one that teaches me this most, but sometimes I say things, and I, I don't have the same shared experience as the people who hear the words that I'm saying. And so I'm going to say something now that I think is important uh, because I don't want to... It's one thing for me to say, hey, we all need to be more humble and patient and gentle in our relationships with one another. And I'm very aware that you may be sitting here or listening online right now and you're in an abusive situation. Well, how does that play out? How does that play out? None of these attitudes, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, means that you ignore abuse. I just feel like I need to share that. Uh, Our lives are connected and experienced in relationships. That's just how God did it, okay? So, So all of this stuff is experienced like this, in relationship. I want to make sure that you're hearing me. Paul is not talking about letting somebody just destroy you and abuse you. Overlooking somebody causing you harm is not the intent of this. I I think you understand that. I want you to know that. Another final point I I do want to make is this. As a pastor, I'm realizing more and more uh, the older I get that one of my main responsibilities is just to really make sure I I listen to God, have a word from God, but then nurture a culture among us, um, create a culture when it comes to the church. That culture falls in certain lines of who we say we are, uh, how we behave, how we respond to different things, speaks about the culture of our church, uh, how our life is expressed in, in what we say, what we do. That's my responsibility as a pastor is to help nurture that culture, a healthy culture. As I think about the oneness that you and I are called to, how that unity plays itself out in the world that we live in, I just want you to know how grateful I am for the mission of our church. Uh, If you've been around for any amount of time or if maybe you've seen some decor on the walls or, or whatever, you know that the mission of our church is that we love God, we love people, we serve the world. Love God, love people, and serve the world. Our business as a church is, yes, we want to be a church that's known for loving God, loving people, and serving the world. But a church is made up of parts that love God. Parts, you, me, that love people. Parts that you, me, that serve the world. We can't expect a church to do something we as individual body members aren't willing to do. Because again, we are the church. So here's what that means. 
we as a church kind of need a culture of formation where everything that we do, everything we say we do, is to build people who love God. Build people who love people. Build people who serve the world. And in doing so, we have a church then that loves God. A church that loves people. A church that serves the world. Can I go one step further? I love the name of our church. Somebody's going, oh no, he's going to change. He already put a thing about Biden and Trump up. He's going to change the name of it. No, I'm not going to change anything. Okay. I love the name of our church, Real Life. But that has, that has implications, man. It really does. Um, real life, real life only happens for you. Right? We can talk about the church all we want, but it only happens for you. Real life is accepting the call and then living it out. It's that access point right there. That's where real life is experienced. When all of the grace and the beauty and the majesty of the forgiveness of sins and, and just the outpouring of what it means to be a child of God lines up with all of a sudden what's going on in your life and the way you speak and the way you act and interact with others and the people in the world around you. Next thing you know, what is going on is there's a balance. This output reflects what's going on in your heart. This is where real life begins to happen. This is where it's amazing to see what God can do through somebody's life. It happens when we surrender. It happens when we surrender. It only happens when we're one. Now, yes, we need to be a people that are united behind a mission of the church, but real life, you personally experiencing real life only happens when your life is one, when you are walking worthy of the calling that you've received. That's when you experience real life. Again, the double-sided aspect of calling our church real life is that, yes, it also speaks to the idea that nobody's perfect. Pastor Rich, man, you're talking a lot about how we are supposed to live. You're supposed to live this way. That sounds legalistic. It sounds like you're putting the cart before the horse. It's that worthy business. Are you living a life worthy to earn salvation? I will never not once say that. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about, the, the fact of the matter is, is if you say you believe something, it ought to impact how you live your life and what you say to people. I mean, it's just really as simple as that. Jesus delivers us from that world. He delivers us from that brokenness. So the, the double-sided aspect of calling our church real life is, yes, it does speak to the idea that nobody is perfect, and we want people to be a part of our body. We want people to belong who have brokenness, who've made bad decisions, who, who live lives that have been broken by the darkness of this world. We, we don't want to be like, we're this, this holy huddle that gathers every single Sunday and you gotta get your act together before you come be a part of us. That is not the message. So this is real life, right? This is real life and that's exciting and that's a good message. But as followers of Jesus, listen closely, don't we know that he's died to give us more than just settling into brokenness, settling into our failures and saying, hey, it's real life. It's real life. No, he's died to make us new. He's died to make us new. John 10.10, 10, Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's real life. 
full life that Jesus came to give happens when we as individual followers of Jesus choose to allow him to lead us in walking in a manner worthy of the calling that we've received. At the same time, this is the beauty of it. The church we love, that Jesus died for, exhibits oneness, exhibits that unity in shaping people who love God, who love people, and serve the world as its members allow Jesus to shape them into people who love God, who love people, and serve the world. In the next couple of weeks, as we march through Ephesians chapter 4, it's my prayer that this becomes clearer and clearer. Uh, In the meantime, I want to establish a practice with you. I'm going to ask Zach uh, if he'd come up. Um, We're going to sing a song here uh, in just a moment. It's a great song. But in the meantime, I want to establish a practice with you beginning today. Uh, We may do this weekly throughout this year. Don't be surprised if you see this pop up here and there. But uh, I think many times in order to become what you know you are being asked to become, you need to articulate it. You need to say it. Even if it might not even be true yet, aspirationally, you know this is what God has designed. And so we're just going to go ahead and declare what God wants us to be, who God wants us to be. And as we understand what it means for us to be one, I just want to share with you a benediction of sorts. It's not really a benediction, but a benediction of sorts, which will become maybe our practice during this next year, maybe even beyond. But would you stand and allow me to speak this over us today? You'll see the words on the screen. May the bond of peace of Jesus Christ go with us as we seek to love God as one. May he guide us in humility, gentleness, and patience as we love people as we have been loved. And may the compassion of Jesus Christ be in us as we serve the world in word and deed. May he bring us together again, rejoicing as his children as we live in real life with Christ. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. And as we sing, help us to sing today with victory. Help us to sing today with assurance and help us to sing today as one. It's in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Let's worship.